Good morning. This morning we're reading once again from Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. So we're working through the Beatitudes this fall. Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' big, big manifesto proclamation of what the good life is. What does it mean to be happy? What does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to flourish? What does it mean to truly be a human being as human beings were designed to be? The Sermon on the Mount was Jesus' answer to all of that, and he opens it up with eight characteristics of what people who are truly blessed by God look like, what their lives look like. These aren't promises for good behavior. These are rather observations. Those who are truly blessed, those who are truly flourishing, what do they look like? How do they live? And so actually today we're looking at the, the seventh beatitude. We're getting close. We're getting close to the end. There's basically eight. Blessed are the peacemakers for, sh- for they shall be called sons of God. Now, somebody once wrote that if you look at all the Beatitudes together, think of the imagery of, of a mountain, because Jesus is preaching off of the side of a mountain uh, so that uh, the multitudes of crowds who are following him could all, could all acoustically hear him. But somebody once said, if, if you imagine yourself going up this mountain with Jesus from a spiritual perspective, uh, the first three Beatitudes are, are ascending up. Those who are poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. And, and the apex, the pinnacle of this mountain climb with Jesus, the very top is those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then on the descending side of the mountain, you have blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, is is what we're up to right now. Uh, So in a sense, another way of saying all of this is, and we've said this before, the first few Beatitudes are about somebody's identity. The last few Beatitudes are about their impact. What you believe about yourself will determine your behavior and how you impact and influence the people around you and in the world. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And another way of saying sons in ancient language is heir, so it means men and women. It's just that in ancient times, only boys or men could inherit. So Jesus is saying, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called heirs 
sons and daughters of God. Now, um, so parents tend to uh, leave things for their children. Uh, children tend to inherit things from their parents. What, just want to open it up to you. What are some things that you inherit from parents? Genetics, right, there's the big one, right. Can't do much about that. You inherit your genetics from your parents. What else? Money, Money right? Maybe some people. <laughs> yeah, what else? What do you inherit from your parents? Heirlooms, yes, heirlooms. What else? What do we inherit from, or maybe even broader than parents, what do you inherit from families? Yeah, Annie. The way you handle conflict. Ooh, juicy. Yes, actually, that's true. We, we, we not only inherit genetics, but we, we inherit um, patterns of thinking and behavior from, from our families and our backgrounds. Yeah, Bob. Good habits, bad habits. Okay, yeah, good habits and, and bad habits, exactly. That was great. Good, good. That's, what, that's everything that I was looking for for now. Okay, so when a child is very small, what do they do? They imitate they imitate their parents, right? Because a little child, for better or for worse, wants to be like mommy or daddy. And so they just try and act like you. I had one kid who said, someday I want to be a musician and a pastor. Because that's kind of what they saw. That's what I was. So that's what, that's, you know, you, you want to be what daddy is. Or you want to be what your mommy is, for better or for worse. And so you imitate your parents from a very early age. And then you become an adolescent, and now it's like, no, get away from me, you're gross. I don't want to be anything like you. I, if you're this way, I'm going to be just the opposite. And then, and then you're out on your own, and you're trying to establish yourself as your own person. And then you kind of get to the middle of your life, and you have more responsibility, and you have to take care of other people, and you start doing things. You start saying things, and you go, oh my goodness, I've become my father. Or you say, oh my goodness, I've become my mother. I'm turning off every light in the house because nobody else will do it. Or fill in the blank. Um, what happens when you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Previous beatitude. Or what happens when you hunger and thirst for the God of peace? You become a peacemaker. You become a person of peace. This is a Christian. This is somebody who is truly blessed. This is somebody who is actually, despite what it looks like, flourishing. And I think as we look at this beatitude today, we will see that peacemakers are called God's children because they act like their heavenly father. They bear the family resemblance because they love him and they want to imitate him. And today I want to talk about how our identity impacts our behavior from Jesus's point of view on the mountainside regarding conflict. So the Christian inherits, the Bible tells us, a new identity in the sense that they discover that they belong to God. God's people belong to him. It's very personal. There's a big word in the Bible called adoption. It's a doctrinal word. It's the astounding fact that God makes spiritual orphans his legal heirs. God takes people who aren't looking for him, who don't trust him, who even hate him, and he makes them not only his friends, but he makes them his children. 
He legally, from a spiritual perspective, he legally adopts them and makes them heirs of his eternal kingdom and all that he has. And the apostle Paul put it this way in his letter to the Romans, Romans chapter eight. He said, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. It's an Aramaic word for daddy or papa, something like that. When Jesus used that word to pray to God, the religious elites of his day were shocked that he would speak to the creator with the word Abba. And Paul went on to say, the spirit of God himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Christianity tells us that God makes rebellious sinners his adopted children. And you discover that your new father has given you a new status, a new name, a new place in his house, at his table, an inheritance. And actually, the Old Testament prophets, so like the second half of the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets, their big message is they're, they're talking about a broken relationship. The Bible is a story about at least half of it is about a broken relationship and God's promise to redeem that broken relationship. And the New Testament shows us how God did it, how he reconciled people to himself. Now, what does adoption, why am I talking about adoption in the context of peacemaking? Adoption has everything to do with being a peacemaker. Think of it this way. You don't hire a piano teacher to teach you how to play a piano if the person has never played piano themselves. At least it's a really bad idea, okay? If I'm going to, I, I need to have something if, I, if I'm going to give it to you. I need to have it by way of skill or experience or identity. You can't give to others something that you don't have yourself. So peacemakers have experienced, by definition of who they are in this new identity, they've experienced peace with God by definition. They are reconciled creatures to the creator. Shalom was the old Hebrew word in the Old Testament for peace. And shalom is a wonderful idea. When we think of peace, we think of no war. We think of the end or the cessation of fighting or conflict or stress. Actually, shalom, it meant so much more than that. It meant fullness. It was a positive word. It wasn't just a negative word. It meant fullness. It meant prosperity. It meant blessing. It meant flourishing. Not just the absence of conflict, but relational flourishing and fullness and well-being between people. Peacemakers have a right relationship with God. They call him their loving father. So what are the peacemakers then, according to Jesus? What is he talking about? Well, he's talking about those who know that they are spiritually poor, who know that they were homeless orphans until God adopted them. The peacemakers are those who mourn, those who are grieved that their own rebellion caused the conflict and that they still struggle with tendencies to think like and act like orphans in their relationship with God. They still struggle, struggle to trust him. They still struggle to be like him, and they grieve and mourn over that. 
The peacemakers are those who are meek, those whose homeless wanderings have humbled them to become gentle people and thankful people. The peacemakers are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They want most to be right with their heavenly father. They want most to please their creator because he's adopted them, because he loves them and they love him. And so these types of people are merciful, as we've seen already, and they are pure-hearted. Translation, these types of people are forgiving, honest people. Therefore, Jesus says that they are blessed. They are the ones who are fit and equipped to be peacemakers, and only them. It's all because God made peace by adopting them and becoming their father. They make peace because they have peace. Identity leads to impact. And so the Apostle Paul, again, same letter, letter to the Romans, Romans chapter five, he summed it all up. He said, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that's another legal term that we can't really get into today, at least not right now. Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul would say, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Adoption has everything to do with living like a peacemaker. Now, you've heard the expression, imitation is the highest form of flattery, right? Many people have said it. You want to show somebody how much you love them. You want to show somebody how much you admire them and want to be like them. Imitate them. God's children imitate his peacemaking skills. He's got mad peacemaking skills. So those who belong to God do like him in their relationships. So one way of looking at this is using the big word reconciliation. It's flying around our society and our culture, flies around in ministry. If you're in ministry or if you're a part of a church or a religious organization, reconciliation is a big word. Um, Reconciliation is what Christians should be about. It defines who they are. And here's how I would define uh, reconciliation. And I used to be a conflict coach and a mediator, so based on all of, my, all of my trials and errors and failures at being a part of that and seeing people reconcile and seeing people not reconcile, this is, this is a definition for you of reconciliation. It's the healing of a broken relationship through mutual efforts of confession, forgiveness, and repentance. So I'll explain what a few of those words mean, because I think this is very practical for you, whatever situation you're in, whatever you believe. I promise you this definition will work if you apply it. I say mutual efforts, because reconciliation requires participation by everybody who is involved. The Apostle Paul, once again, same letter, Romans 12, would say, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Notice that Paul did not say, as far as it depends on them, live peaceably with everybody. He said, as far as it depends on you. Reconciliation requires more than everybody waiting for everyone else to do something or to say something. 
Reconciliation positively looks for, thinks for, ways to make a connection, even if you're not the one responsible, even if it was done against you. Mutual. The word confession means acknowledging your own fault or your own culpability or even your own sin in a conflict. David, the man who was close to God's heart, messed up a lot. And at one point in Psalm 139, he said, search me, O God. See if there's any grievous way in me. Test me. Know my thoughts. Lead me in the everlasting way. I don't want to be on this wicked path that I'm on. Unless you have an accurate diagnosis, you can't progress towards healing, correct? You need to know what the disease is. You need to know what the problem is. We only progress in our conflicts towards peace if everybody can look at themselves and go, how have I contributed to the stress and anxiety and conflict and division that I am now experiencing? Forgiveness is knowing you've been wronged, but releasing your right to punish. Relinquishing your right to punish even though, that you've, been, even though you've been hurt and wronged. Once again, the Apostle Paul, but in Colossians chapter 3, said, he said, there's this whole chapter where he says, this is what it means to live for God once he's adopted you. He says, if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven you. And we looked at, we looked at being merciful a couple of weeks ago. And remember, being merciful is releasing another person from the debt that they owe you for how they've hurt you. And then there's, there's a big one, repentance. Repentance is changing your attitudes and actions so that the offenses are not repeated. Confession is owning and acknowledging something. Repenting is a new way of thinking and a new way of behaving that doesn't repeat the pattern. Repenting and, if you've been wronged, allowing another person to repent, it helps rebuild mutual trust. So if you want to mature as a Christian, if you are a Christian and you want to mature as one, pray for peace and imitate God as a peacemaker. Whether you're a part of a conflict right now or not, whether you caused something or not. Pray for peace. Look for ways to encourage peace in any situation. Jesus said peacemakers. You know that word, it's a compound word, it only appears once in the Bible. It literally means to do peace. It, it, there's a point in why Jesus chose that word. This is an active thing. It's pursuing peace with other people. It's pursuing peace among other people. It's even pursuing peace for the sake of other people. And our, de our definition here of reconciliation, it applies at every level of humanity. Friendships and your neighbors, your families, our marriages, communities, races, nations, it all applies. And maybe, just because we don't have a lot of time, maybe the best counsel I could personally um, with, uh, I could personally offer is this. Learn to understand another person's interests for their benefit. 
See, in negotiations and in competitions, you want to understand your enemy's interests so that you know how to maneuver and manipulate and defeat them. Battle strategies. But in peacemaking, at least the kind of peacemaking that the Bible talks about, one of the best things we can learn how to do is learn to understand somebody else from their perspective. Learn to understand their interests for their benefit, not for your own. The Apostle Paul, again, talked about this in another letter to the Philippians. He said, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. There is nothing that heals a relationship better than each side striving to see the problem from the point of view of the other side, even if they're wrong. There's nothing that heals a relationship better than each side seeing it or trying to see it from the other side's perspective. And if all you see when you look at that other person or think about that other person or remember that other person, if all you see is a wicked, hopeless, unyielding wretch, even then, Remember the Beatitudes, the merciful, even when they see that, the merciful see somebody who was trapped by sin, who was trapped by Satan, the Lord of this world, and is moved to pity and compassion for that person. Those who belong to God do like him in their relationships. The world really doesn't want peace. What I have found again and again, when people say they want peace, when people say they want reconciliation, what we often mean is we want the other person to see things from our perspective. We want the other person to do what we want them to do. It is very rare that an individual or that a community or that a race or that a nation actually wants peace, the kind of peace that Jesus is talking about here the kind of peace that you see throughout the pages of Scripture. Human beings want their own way. Biblical shalom, it pursues healing even at the expense of your own benefit. That's what biblical peace is. It's saying, I will do anything, even if it kills me, to establish a healed relationship. So to say, I want reconciliation at the expense of other people's benefit, that's not reconciliation. That's not peace. It's more of the same. It's people wanting what's best for them. The apostle James, Jesus's biological brother, wrote this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. This is why friendships die. This is why marriage is so hard for all of us. This is why races do not trust each other. This is why politics are so contentious. This is why churches split. Because we want our own way. And we confuse that with peace. 
Christianity is radical because it promises peace by the giving up of your rights. Those who belong to God do like God who gave up his rights. The Apostle Paul, remember when he said, hey, if you want to be unified, don't only look to your own interests, but look to the interests of others. When he said that, he said, hey, here's, here's where that idea comes from. He went on in the passage to say, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Translation, Jesus didn't grab for his rights, but he gave them up in order to heal the relationship. And at this point, I'm not going to project the rest. I just want you to hear what Paul said about Jesus of Nazareth. Being in the likeness of men, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus was God, is God in human form. And Jesus set aside his rights as the creator, as the king, as the judge. He's the only one that can claim rights to those titles. Creator, king, judge. But he didn't conquer Herod and take back Israel. He didn't conquer Caesar and take over the world. He didn't send all of us to hell and eternal separation from our creator. He didn't cast us away forever. He lived a lifetime. He lived a human lifetime. Have you ever benefited from somebody saying, yeah, I know what you mean. I've been there before. Or I have no idea what you're talking about, but to better understand you because I love you, I'm going to walk a day in your shoes or I'm just going to listen. Help me understand. Have you ever been encouraged and blessed by somebody doing that in your life? Jesus took a lifetime, a human lifetime to do that. He spent a lifetime pursuing shalom, prosperity, blessedness, fullness for us at his own expense. So much, though, that he took the place of guilty sinners on a Roman cross. He died to reconcile us to our heavenly Father. He was so committed to blessing and prosperity and flourishing in relationships that he died for it. Now, since Jesus gave up his divine rights, now you give up yours. You give up the little rights that you claim to have, and maybe you do as an American citizen or as a man or as a woman or as a parent or as an employer or a business owner. The little rights in God's eyes that you actually have, give them up. Jesus gave his rights up for you. If you're angry with somebody and you don't want to forgive them, give up that right that you're holding on to, to judge them. 
to punish them, even if your punishing is just by silence. Give that up because Jesus has already died for that sin. You don't need to hold on to that burden anymore. Give up your anger and be free. If you're passionate about something, even a good thing, and you won't let go of that passion, and and that passion is causing tension with people in your life because you won't release that one thing, give that up too. The Bible says, all things are yours because of Jesus Christ. All things are yours. If you're a child of God, you're going to inherit everything anyway. What are you holding on to? Give it up. Repentance is not only something that the offender has to do. Repentance is something that the offended party has to do as well. We all need to become merciful, forgiving, patient people with those who have hurt us. And Jesus is saying, if you know you are spiritually poor and have nothing to offer God, if you know by your own grief that you're a sinner, if you know that what you need more than anything is a right relationship with your creator, if you know these things, you will become a peacemaker because you will see yourself as an adopted son or daughter of the king of the universe and nothing can change his love for you. And he has destined that all things will someday be yours, not only a right relationship with him now, but perfection and goodness and peace, shalom, for all eternity. That's what Christianity promises. And and that is the only power that exists in the universe for fallen people like me and you to truly have peace. We will never see peace by the efforts that our politicians and our social workers are applying as much as we love them and appreciate them and respect them. True peace comes from people who have been changed by God with a new heart. They have the message of peace and they have the power of peace to pursue the healing of broken relationships at every level of human existence, even when it hurts them. Because they know that Jesus was hurt the most for their sake. And God is holding everything in store for them someday. So they have the freedom to pursue peace with others. Peacemakers are known as God's children because they act like their heavenly father who at his own expense gave up himself and his son to make peace with his enemies and call them his friends and even his children. And so, once again, the author James would sum up, I think, his brother's beatitudes by saying this. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. If you read the Beatitudes, this is who Jesus is describing. These are the people he's describing. And then James went on to write, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So be reconciled to God. Reconcile yourself to your creator today if you have to. You may not be around tomorrow. Do it now. Now is the day. Be reconciled to God and let him take your sin and forgive you and bless you with his peace. Bless you 
with a right relationship with him, bless you with the power to forgive others, even if they don't change. Power to change yourself to be a peacemaker because God has made peace with you. Be reconciled to God, I implore you. And if you don't know how to do that, ask me. And if I'm the wrong person, we'll find a man or a woman that you can talk to. If you already belong to Jesus, then act like him. Act like the Prince of Peace who has given you his spirit so that you can pursue peace in every tense relationship, in every broken system in which you find yourself. Let's pray. Our great God, the God of peace, we ask that you would convince us of your goodness, of your trustworthiness, of your desire to make peace with us by helping us to look closely at your son. As our brother Ed prayed earlier, uh, sometimes we do not reflect him well and, and we ourselves are the problem. Father, forgive us for not reflecting you truly to this world, to our neighbors and our friends and relatives. We ask that you would transform every life here so that we would see your goodness and your desire for peace with us by looking intently at your son, how he lived, what he said. Draw us close to your son, Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, and in his strength alone and by his wisdom alone, help us to be people who pursue peace with one another, with Westminster, with McDaniel College and Carroll Community College with the businesses and institutions here, with the people on our blocks that we don't like or that don't like us, with people that we don't understand or are intimidated by. Father, help us to pursue the interests of others for their benefit, as you have done for us. We praise you and we thank you for making peace with us. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, the great reconciler. Amen.